Now, we live in Asia. We don't have, people don't eat bread, uh, but they do eat rice. So typical translation in Asia might be better was, give us this day our daily rice. But even in America, that idea, no, that's maybe perhaps changed a little bit during the lockdown when people got a little bit panicky about even getting bread. But what he's saying here is the, the, the sustenance of life, the most essential things of life, would you provide those for us? We depend on you for those. What are, what are your daily needs? What, are, what is most essential to your life? What's most stressing to you? What's most on your heart that you need to depend on God for? This doesn't mean we, we turn to him and, as a genie because he says very clearly in verse 19, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. So we're not talking about getting more and more things for ourselves. We're talking about dependence on God for the needs in our life. And look, if you will, there in chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. We seek first his kingdom, but we do depend on him for our needs, even though we are not anxious about those needs. Secondly, he says, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So finally, we come to what I might naturally be inclined to start with in prayer, which is confession. And certainly, it's a part of our, uh, an element that needs to be in our prayers. But here he says, we have our orientation first on the things of God. Now we come to our needs. And now we come to God, would you forgive us of our sins? And there's a couple of two verses, I think come to mind when we pray this. Romans 8.34 says, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. We come to God, we confess our sin, and we trust in the finished work of Jesus for that repentance. But notice he adds a caveat. We don't just ask for forgiveness of our own sins, but we ask it in light of the fact that we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my prayer life, I very easily could ask for my own forgiveness for my own sins. But when someone has done something to me, or something, someone is you know, in the process of making my life difficult, I have more trouble forgiving them than I do have confessing my own sin. But Jesus says very distinctly in verse 14, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. So this is an essential part of confession of sins, is that we think about those who we need to forgive. Even if they haven't asked for it, or even if they don't acknowledge that they're sinning against us. Who is it in your life right now that you need to forgive so that you can properly receive forgiveness from God in prayer? Look further. Do not bring us into temptation, verse 13. Do not bring us into temptation. He's not saying it kind of is an interesting way to say it, but it's sort of a rhetorical way of saying, keep us from temptation. God certainly, James says, 
Um, clearly, James 1, 13 through 14 says, God neither tempts anyone to sin, nor is he tempted by sin. So we know that that's a truth. So he's not saying that God brings us into temptation, but he's saying, would you pray that God would keep you from temptation? What is it in your life we all struggle with things that tempts us? What is it that we regularly are ensnared in temptation in? Would you pray hourly that God would keep you from temptation? And when you fall, we come back to the throne of God and we say, forgive me. And he says, I have. Finally, he says, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Certainly, this includes the evil one's desire to ensnare us in sins. But also, the evil one is a good way to summarize Satan himself wants to see the downfall of every single point on this prayer list. Every single area that we are to pray for, for God's name to be honored, for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done, for our daily needs to be met, for our sins to be forgiven, for us to forgive others. Satan wants every single one of those things to not happen. And I've heard people say, well, we shouldn't pray against Satan. Uh, it's, he's not God, he's not everywhere. Well, that's just what Jesus says. We turn and we say, protect us from the evil one. He's got schemes, he's got plans. We don't understand the way he works. We don't want to give him too much credit. But we pray, God, would you protect us from the schemes of the devil? So today we saw two orientations to our prayer life. Let's daily evaluate our prayer life to bring it more in line with God's. How can we increase our dependency on God in our work, in our family, in our actions, in our church, in our daily activities in life? I want to close with another Hannah's prayer, another example of a Hannah in prayer. Perhaps you don't know her as Hannah. Her name was Hannah, but the tradition that it's come down to us uh, from the Greek to the Latin and now to the English is her name is Anna. But of course, uh, her Hebrew name would have been Hannah. It says there was in Luke chapter 2, verse 36, there was also a prophetess Anna, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God day and night with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him, talking about Jesus, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Here's another example. We have bookends of the Messiah. We have a Hannah in the Old Testament, long before the temple even is built, prophesies about the coming Messiah King. Now we have the Messiah King come to his temple, and here's another Hannah who has devoted herself to the joy of the Lord, devoted herself to prayer, who has a proper outlook, just like the other Hannah, on the future events, and now she recognizes the king, kingdom of God has come, and she proclaims it to all. Would you take the example of these two Hannahs, of dedication to prayer and to God's kingdom? 
Would you join with me in a life of attempt to live a life of utter dependence on God in prayer in every situation? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, would you draw us close to you in prayer and dependence? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Holy like the Lord, there is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. No, do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. We live in an area of the world where there are many gods that people turn to. And it's not so common here to see physical manifestations of gods, but certainly we have other gods we turn to. But Hannah here finds her joy in the Lord, and she is confident of the Lord's uniqueness and of the Lord's power. And look there in verses 4 through 8 of chapter 2, that Hannah speaks to the Lord's ability to reverse any situation. Look what she says, the bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. Hannah understands that with the Lord resides the power to reverse the most desperate of situations. Finally, and uniquely for Hannah's prayer, Hannah has a proper view of future events. Look there at the end of her prayer. She, she says in verse 9 and 10, He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. Amazingly, Hannah here appears to make a prophetic word regarding the coming Messiah, Jesus himself. So here we have a woman in anguish, wanting a child. She begins in prayer. She responds in faith. She continues in faith, and she concludes in prayer, in a powerful prayer. Let me just ask you today, are you trusting that the Lord is a unique Lord, that he is a powerful Lord, and that he has the power to reverse any situation? Considering Hannah's prayer and faith life-centered, faith, prayer and faith-centered life causes me to think about my own prayer life and my own dependence on God. As Hannah's story demonstrates, often extreme difficulty can lead us to extreme dependence on God in prayer. And perhaps some of us this week are in a place like that 
Perhaps it's financial difficulty, perhaps it's loneliness, perhaps it's uh, difficulty with the situations that are happening in the world at this time, and stress and anxiety can get the best of us. Are you trusting that the Lord has the power to reverse any situation? What things can we relinquish our self-dependence and turn to God? independence. I don't know about you, but most of my days, I find myself mostly self-dependent. But the Lord wants us to consider how we can be dependent on him continually. Perhaps you're like me, and for many years, I found prayer to be a very difficult thing to engage in regularly. Let us challenge you today to draw close to the Lord in prayer during this time in this country, during this difficult time in a church when we can't even meet. Let's draw close to the Lord in prayer. And let's focus our prayers on the things that God would want us to focus on. My purpose for today's sermon is that you would embrace an attitude of utter dependence on God in prayer in every situation. Now, the attitude of utter dependence on God in prayer in every situation, even in my own mind, is a little difficult to even conceptualize. How do I go through my day in dependency on God? How do I raise my kids? How do I interact with my family? How do I do my job in utter dependence on God, even in the mundane things of life? And even more than the difficulty of just conceptualizing how do, we, how do we have this continual hour by hour dependence on the Lord and prayer with the Lord, but how do we even maintain that? Some weeks seem like prayer time is, is easy and it goes by quickly and I look forward to it. And other times I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what else I can do and my mind wonders just this morning I was trying to spend some time in prayer and Thoughts began to come of what I had to do for the day and, uh, and, and then, you know, things with politics and the economy come to the, your mind these days. And it's easy to get distracted from a dependence on the Lord in prayer. But I pray today that you would embrace an attitude of utter dependence on God in prayer in every situation. Today, I want to look at the Lord's model, the Lord's prayer as a model for our dependence on God in prayer. Now, a lot of times, especially overseas, we, um, it's very common in Asian churches that as the service ends, we would just all, as a congregation, say the Lord's prayer together, which is nice uh, in the one sense. On the other hand, if we're not careful, and of course, we can see this very obviously in some uh, uh, ways that the Lord's Prayer is used, that it become just rote uh, words that we say with no meaning. And uh, if we, even if we don't consciously do that, sometimes when we're just reading the text of Matthew 6, where we'll be today, uh, verses 9 through 13, with the uh, Lord's Prayer, we can come and not think about it fully, and not think about what he's actually saying. But what is he giving us? He's giving us a model for prayer. That doesn't mean we necessarily pray the exact words, but we pray 
in the way that this model teaches us to pray. And we don't pray thoughtlessly like the pagans pray, or else we risk doing exactly what, it's, what he warns us against right before the Lord's Prayer begins. He says in verse, uh, chapter 6 uh, of Matthew, verse 7, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Now, we have actual inscriptions from this time uh, of, of, of these prayers that these Gentiles, that these uh, pagans would pray to their gods, and they're literal gibberish. They don't make any sense, but you had to pray it exactly right if you wanted the God to hear you. We've lived in India, and in India, all the priests speak in Sanskrit, and nobody really understands Sanskrit, so it's a priestly language, and the priest prays these prayers for you, and now that we're in Thailand, they follow Buddha, and, uh, and Buddha was also an Indian, came out of Hinduism, and he spoke Bali. And so all the priests speak, uh, say their prayers for their people in Pali, and nobody has any idea what they're saying. He says, we're not going to be like that. So we must be careful to focus in our prayer life. We must be careful to take the Lord's Prayer as a model and not let it become uh, rote memorization that we don't think through. So today, I want us to see two focuses for prayer, two focuses for prayer. One of the unique things that, as I begin to use the Lord's Prayer as a model in my own uh, prayer life daily, I've noticed that much like the Ten Commandments, and if you've never really noticed that the Ten Commandments do break into two different orientations. The Ten Commandments begin with, do not have other gods beside me. So we have our relationship with God. Do not make an idol for yourself. Our relationship with God. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Our relationship with God. So you see it's all vertical focused at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And then it's horizontal focused, things focused on this earth. And with our relationships with other people, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor. And you see there at the last one that he ends close to home with the only one in the Lord's Prayer that deals with the matters of the heart. Um, the Ten Commandments then have a vertical orientation and a horizontal orientation. And uniquely, the model of the Lord's Prayer has the same orientation. It begins with the vertical orientation with our relationship with God and his things. And then it moves to the horizontal orientation. So today we're going to see two, or, two focuses in our prayer. A vertical orientation, focus for prayer, and a focus on the horizontal orientation. Let's begin with prayer. Father, would you open up your word to us. Would you speak to us even through this unusual method of communication? Would you still, to those who are sitting at home, Father, would you clear out the distractions? Would you speak to every person today who's listening? Would you touch their heart? Father, would you draw us into your throne room? Would you draw us into dependence on you? 
Father, would you give us the ability to need you every hour and to respond in prayer in every situation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Jesus says, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So today we're going to see two focuses for our prayer life. The first focus is the vertical focus. And look where he starts with the model of prayer. He says, very simply, our Father in heaven. We were at a uh, missionary meeting last year, and uh, there was a pastor from Arkansas came and spoke. He's the brother of Tom Eliff, Bill Eliff. And uh, he had us enter the throne room of God. And he says, this is a little tip that he learned for prayer that revolutionized his prayer life. And it's definitely something that, since I've heard it, I've tried to implement in my prayer life as well. And that is, when you pray wherever you are, you have the ability, would you enter into the throne room of God? There's God sitting before you, Jesus at his right hand. Would you close the door of the throne room and it's just you and God talking? And as you have that picture in your mind, hear these verses describing the throne room of God. Daniel 7, 9 says, The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before them, him. Now, John's vision from Revelation chapter 4. There was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. We begin prayer by entering into the throne room of God in direct communion with God himself. Jesus is on his right. We close the door behind us and we focus on a conversation with God himself. Our Father in heaven. Now we begin the prayer. Your name be honored as holy. 
It's unique where he starts, isn't it? As I was doing a little research on models of prayer, there's a lot of them out there. Uh, one common one, if you use it, I don't want to discourage you from whatever prayer model you're using. But I just thought it was interesting if you follow the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, that it comes up a little bit different than where we might normally start. Often you start somewhere with praise and confession. Um, I certainly often feel the need personally to begin with confessing our sin, my sin before I begin the prayer time. But look where Jesus tells us to begin with. We certainly are going to get to confession of sin, but he begins with the, God's name being honored as holy. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a time in which we're seeing the name of God in our world here in America become less and less honored as holy. I live in a world where no one even knows the name of God and the name of Buddha every day is honored as holy and people bow down to him physically in worship every day. But we begin our prayers oriented to God's name being honored as holy. I'm afraid that too often in my life I've worked for things for my, the honor of my own name. I don't know about you. In fact, last year specifically, even in ministry, as we're ministering and trying to serve the Lord, often we can get, I, I get caught up in making a name for myself, in making my own ministry important, making the things I do important. Jesus says we begin our prayer focused on making sure that the things that we do in this life and the things that are happening in our world are focused on honoring the name of God as holy. Let me just ask you, what are some ways that you need to pray for God's name to be honored as holy in your life? What would it look like for God's name to be honored as holy in every aspect of your life? Think about it. If everything you did was oriented towards making God's name honored as holy, not your own, not someone else's, not your family's, not your church's even, but God's name honored as holy. This is how we are to begin our prayers. This is our focus, our first focus for the vertical relationship of our prayer. What would it look like to pray every day? God, would your name be honored in my work? God, would your name be honored in my family? God, would your name be honored in my thoughts? God, would your name be honored in my actions? God, would your name be honored in our church? God, would your name be honored in our country? God, would your name be honored in the daily, mundane activities of my life? Look to the second element there of the vertical relationship in our prayer. He says, your kingdom come. 
Now, it's very similar to your name be honored as holy, but it's slightly different, isn't it? Much like I myself have often worked so my own name gets honored as holy, or my own name just receives honor, I've often worked to building my own kingdom, building my own career, building my own things in life. But what would happen if we changed our focus in our prayer life to a focus on God's kingdom coming in every aspect of our life? What would happen if we began to pray, God, would your kingdom come in my world today, whatever way that I'm, thing that I'm doing? Father, would your kingdom come at my workplace? What would it look like for God's kingdom to come at your workplace? What would it look like for God's kingdom to come in your family in a tangible way? So we come to prayer and we say, God, would your kingdom come in my thoughts? Would my thoughts and my actions be things that are oriented towards the bringing about of your kingdom on this earth? What would it look like for God's kingdom to come in our personal worlds? Third, we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's will in heaven like? In, in heaven, God's will happens all the time. There is no allowance in heaven for things that are outside of God's will. And that's how we're to pray. Often, just as working towards the honor of my own name, working towards my own kingdom, I often work more so than all the, others, the other two combined. I work through my own will. What are the things that I want? What, are, what am I wanting to do today? What do I want to think about today? What do I want to spend my time on? What do I want to spend my money on? What do I want to spend my family's time on? How do I want to spend my career? How, where do I want to go to school? These things all come from our own will. And we have to desperately turn to the Lord and say, would your will change me? Would your will become my will? Would you change my will into what you would have happen? Would you change my will, my attitude towards my family, towards my work, towards my church? Would you change my thoughts to be your thoughts, my actions to be your actions? Would I have your will for things in the most smallest, in the smallest, most non-essential things in life? Would it still be your will, Father? That's how we're to pray. During these times of disruption, I don't know about you, but 
you hear one person talk about we should do this and another person talk about we should do that. And I get agitated and I think somebody should be doing this or somebody should be doing that. And we see even uh, friends, we have lots of friends, of course, around the world. And in Thailand, they're all much more locked down even than in America. And people aren't able to get out. And people, we have um, people suffering because they're locked at home. And you think, if someone would just make the right decision and make this all go away. But God has a purpose for it. God has a will for it. And I've been oriented more and more towards that every day. And I pray, God, would your kingdom come into people's life during this time of disruption? And I pray that for everyone listening at home right now. Would you pray with me that God's kingdom would come because of this? That there might be people turning away from their own will and from honoring, working towards their own name to work towards the name of God, to work for his kingdom to come, and that their will might become his will. The first focus that we must have in prayer is a vertical orientation that focuses on the honor of God's name for the kingdom of God to come and for his will to be done in our lives. The second focus of prayer is a horizontal focus. Look with me, if you will, at verse 11. Now he focuses on our needs. He says, give us today our daily bread. 